Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. I'm really excited to bring you this episode. I feel like I haven't done an episode recently on just the craft and art of writing and I'm so happy to bring you this episode where we just talk about writing for 30 minutes and I absolutely loved it. My guest today is E. Lockhart. She is a New York Times bestselling author of 10 novels, including the brilliant We Were Liars, which was a New York Times bestseller and a Zoella book club pick. It also won the Goodreads Choice Award for Best Young Adult Fiction, and it was shortlisted for tons of other awards as well. She's probably also best known for her book Genuine Fraud, which is soon to be a film produced by Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor of the HBO series Girls fame. And she is just such a brilliant person to talk about writing. We talk about novels. We talk about how to keep your momentum when you're writing. We talk about the tools that E. Lockhart uses to write. We talk about how to study the books you love and how to really take something from them in order to apply it to your own writing. We talk about how to manage your ego and what it's like being an author, but also just a person that needs to get on with their day and how to ignore reviews, the good and the bad and the ugly. And in general, I just loved how open she was about writing and how amazing it is, but also how hard it is. And I really got a lot from this episode myself as a writer. So I hope that you listening um, enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. That's all I have to say, really, um, because the episode speaks for itself. So I will leave you to it to listen to this episode. Uh, thank you for being a listener of Control-Alt-Delete. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review or just leave a rating. And thank you so much. And here it is. So I'm very excited to be with E. Lockhart. I just told you that I loved your book, uh, Genuine Fraud, and got through it in a day. Do you hear that a lot, that people just race through your books very quickly? Yes, and it makes me very happy. But also, of course, you know, they take years to write. So sometimes it's a little bit sad. <laughs> That's so funny. It's like when you organize a massive party and it's just over, even yeah. though all the planning took so, so long. Right. How long did Genuine Fraud take you to write? It took about two years. But, you know, that answer is very tricky because, you know, I write probably three hours a day, maybe four hours a day. Um, But then, of course, there are periods where I put something to the side. I don't look at it for a while. Then I bring it back to the front of my burner, so to speak. Mm, Do you think it's important to not be at it the whole time? Do you need, like, distance from what you're working on? For me, I mean, I think really there are many other writers who prefer to, you know, immerse themselves and write, you know, 12 hours a day on something in a, in a kind of a frenzy. Um, I basically have written all I can write after three or four hours. And I, I have to kind of go and refill my creative well. And I like to have more than one project on the go at a time. You know, something will be most important. But some days I just can't look at that thing and it's useful for me to have something else I could work on. Or I've reached a stopping point. Let's say I've done a draft and I want to put it away for several days so that I can look at it with fresh eyes because I can't revise as well if I'm always in the middle. You know, mm-hmm. I need to get that distance to be able to jump in effectively. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it takes quite a lot of patience. It doesn't really feel like patience. I mean, I, it feels like something really interesting to do. You know what I mean? It's I'm interested in the work. 
so it's you know it's no hardship Mm. I read that you wrote a novel or you started writing fiction at a really really young age I can't remember exactly what age but I I think I was eight I wrote um I went to Montessori school um and one of the things that they did in my Montessori school, you know, it just means an open schedule and the child is deciding what to work on on any given day. And we had these um, little blue notebooks. And so one of the things you could choose to do was writing. And I would just fill up like notebook after notebook after notebook um, with uh, fan fiction, basically. I would, um, I wrote a epic um, novel about Pippi Longstocking. And I loved that story. I used to imitate um, Joan Aiken as well. And uh, I just kind of pushed myself to, you know, imitate my favorite writers at that period of my life for quite a long time. And um, then I forgot about writing for a while. I, you know, I got interested in boys and, and musical theater <laughs> and, uh, and came back to it later. And did your parents work in the arts at all? Did they influence you at all? My father is a playwright, and he always um, taught. He's a was a he retired recently, but he was a professor at NYU, New York University, and um, he's a uh, what I'd call a language poet playwright, um, very avant garde, and writing plays that were mostly produced, you know, in the off off Broadway theaters in New York City. He's a beautiful, beautiful writer, but he he always did have that teaching job um, because he's not a commercial writer. Uh, but he was a great role model in terms of like there, you know, here's a life in the arts, right? And here's a person um, who knows many other people who've made lives in the arts: actors and set designers and costume designers and other playwrights and directors. That must be such a important lesson to learn early on as well. But there is a difference between making art and actually, unfortunately, not getting paid that much for it because it is pure and very raw. And then how to make money off art is like a slightly different thing. It feels sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And he used to. I mean, he he wrote television and um, a couple films at some point in his like thirties and forties uh, to make money. And I think he enjoyed doing that work, but. Um, he always had the teaching to fall back on. And I think that was another good role model. And I certainly um, taught for the first half of my career as a way of sustaining my existence <laughs> while I was writing. Um, but I write, you know, more commercial type of books. And so, you know, now I'm able to make a living. Yeah. And with your your books, um, I, I wanted to ask whether you come up with the idea first and then decide whether it's going to be you know children's adult YA do you is it you that kind of says right where am I gonna where's this gonna sit in the genre and category it's always really obvious to me um you know I've written a couple adult books but that was much earlier in my career I really prefer writing for young people and I write stuff for very young children and sort of you know maybe up to the age of 10 and then I kind of jump over the over to young adult and my young adult books are kind of uh, 12 and up, 14 and up, and I have readers all the way up to, you know, 70. But it seems, an idea is just naturally YA or it isn't. Um, it's it's not like I have to figure out what it should be. I mean, there are certain things about young adult literature that are, you know, common to the, the genre. They're about separating from your family of origin. They're about 
identity and finding out who you're going to be um, really for the first time. There are about a lot of first experiences with um, sex and romance and money and travel, right? That that new independence and um, and also the relationship to the institutions that shape us through our youth, you know, um, mostly school, but also church or um, sports teams, things like that, right? And navigating those relationships as you become more and more of an independent thinker. Mm. A lot of YA books are quite dark, very serious subject matters. And it feels like no one is ever speaking to teenagers in a way that's dumbing it down. It's actually the opposite. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, most of young adult literature takes the emotional lives of teenagers very seriously. No reason to talk down to them. They're, you know, educated and astute humans. But it's funny, when I, when I read books as a teenager, I, I did sometimes just feel like they were too young for me. I don't know. And now I feel that there's no difference, really, between a YA book and, and adults reading those books. It's, it's the same, you know, stuff of life that's really important. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be some YA that appeals more to adult readers and some YA that is really, really only for young people. Um, but I don't think I'd be able to tell you exactly why a book was one or the other. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, it's, it's, you know, some people think that YA is just an age category. It's just a, a, a label. But I do think of it more as a genre, like with all of those elements that I was talking about before. And, um, and another element that I would add on is immediacy. So a YA novel does not feel nostalgic for the time back when we used to whatever, right? Like uh, there's a, a Colson Whitehead novel um, called Sag Harbor, which is so beautifully written. I mean, he's just, you know, an unbelievably great writer. Um, but it's all about teenagers. But it's so nostalgic. It's mm-hmm. so much written about you know, from the perspective of a grown person looking back at this important time of his youth. And um, that's not a fault. It just means it's not YA, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, YA always has this feeling like, this is immediate, this is happening, this matters now. Mm -hmm. And over your career, because you've obviously written so many books, do you feel like you've now found a category of writing that you love more than others? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I like a challenge. I like to do something that I haven't done before, basically. So, you know, genuine fraud is told backwards. That's because I wanted a challenge. I was looking for a story to tell backwards because I wanted to see if I could do it. Um, we Were Liars was the first um, thriller that I'd ever written. Um, my books before that, I would call all of them comedies. So I wanted to do something in a different genre and you know see see what I would come up with um the next project I'm doing has a really tricky narrative structure of a different sort and after that I'm writing a graphic novel so I think my voice naturally is a YA voice and I love the writing community and the activist community and the librarians and the teachers who are part of the young adult literature scene and all of the causes that matter so much around literature for young people you know um freedom of speech library access literacy um sexual health issues all kinds of things like that that community of people you know rallies around Mm. and do you really enjoy meeting your readers in person 
I do. I do. I always feel like I'm I'm inadequate. Because uh, there, is, there is quite a... Um, intensity, I think, to to what to people that love YA, they love it. Yeah, yeah, they love it, and they they'll bring you a book that they've read five or six times. You know, they know it backwards and forwards, which is very moving. Um, but I always feel like just me sitting there smiling at them is you know inadequate to the experience that they've had reading the book. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the book is you know something I've made with you know as much care as I could possibly put into it. And whatever stupid thing I just say while I'm signing their book feels, you know, mm. I haven't rewritten that 15 times and and tried to make it the best possible thing. I'm just blurting out whatever stupid thing I, I could say, you know? So it always feels a little like, I, you know, I'm nervous in those, those situations and they're nervous. And so it's good to meet them. Like, I'm happy to be there, but I never feel like I'm quite enough. I kind of I know what you mean in in the terms of someone's just had this incredible experience and of course they're going to love meeting you but it's almost yeah it's like a bit of a weird pressure because they've just you might have changed their life in in some way with with your book I wondered with your with the challenge that you put upon yourself with with writing it seems like writing for a lot of people is just a very daunting process I wondered how do you keep your momentum and sanity when you're grappling with this very intricate storyline how do you kind of not give up halfway through um well you're assuming I'm going from the beginning to the end and I'm not so um I do a fair amount of mapping out of the story which I wouldn't really call an outline so much as just like some planning um of stuff that's going to happen and things that are going to matter and scenes that seem important and when I'm stuck, I just jump ahead. So I'm often writing my novels out of order and piecing them together later, which I do in a word processing program called Scrivener, which a lot of novelists use um, because it allows you to kind of see the structure of your book in a way that you can't using Microsoft Word or some other more standard word processing program. So yeah, I, I just jump ahead and write something else if I can't write what's right in front of me. So many authors I've interviewed always say that writing a new book, it feels like a totally new thing and then like you've never done it before. Is that true for you or do you think yeah. that you, 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 you know what you're doing? No, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I think each, each book kind of teaches you how to write it and they are mostly all different. Um, and there's this, you know, it's the, the me who can write a novel is not the same me who goes to the grocery store and the swimming pool and does things with my family and um, organizes the closet. Like, that person doesn't know how to write a novel. That's so interesting, because I feel like, obviously, everyone has so many different selves, but that can feel confusing. You feel like you should just have one self, but of course you don't. No, and I, I walked into a bookstore the other day and I thought, it would be amazing to write a novel. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm a novelist. Oh, my God. But I did. It was a completely genuine thought because I'm just going about my day and they're probably, I probably hadn't written in a couple of days. And, you know, I yeah, I mean, so the me that's writing, the, I mean, I don't mean to sound schizophrenic about it or, or split personality or anything, Um I mean, just that, uh, you know, I sit down. It, I think it's probably like being an athlete or something, right? And that, that you know, you warm up 
it's like you're either in it or you're not yeah you're either in it and you're not and 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 i imagine like pole vaulters you know must be in sort of awe of pole vaulting and think you know and it's only they have to warm themselves up they have to get into a mindset they have to sort of you know get to the point where they can get their body to do this amazing stunning Mm -hmm. thing um but it's not going to happen when they roll out of bed but then that sounds as well in a positive way I suppose that you are then not attached to your ego in this way because you are an award-winning novelist who sold so many copies of your book like that's that is who you are but yet that's not how you think about yourself 24 7 it's kind of interesting no my ego is pretty separated from from the books I mean I think I I learned a long time ago that I could not have my sense of myself depend upon my reviews or my popularity or the reception of my books in any way because I just cannot control the reception. The only thing I can do is make a piece of art that I am as happy with as I can be. Um, And that doesn't mean every book is my best. Sometimes I know that a book isn't as good as something I've done before, but I'm just making the best thing that I can make right this minute, Mm. right? And that I've tried my hardest and that... I've gotten it as far as I can get it and and just be happy with myself and my own work, mm. you know? Yeah. Because the rest of it is just a crapshoot, you know? And so you cannot be riding up and down on any of that outside feedback. Mm. It sounds really healthy because I think you're right. I mean, it comes down to so many kind of weird mystical things like the cover or the time that it was published or obviously it depends on a good book but it's so much more than that isn't it yeah and there's so many wonderful books that don't find their audiences and if you go I don't actually do this but this is a favorite piece of advice that a lot of um, writers I know give you know go and read the Amazon reviews of a novel that you adore I did that recently and then go and read the worst ones and there are people who just hate it they hate it so much that they went on line to spend their precious time ranting about how terrible it is and you know you're just like oh there's p- people who hate everything mm-hmm. and uh, not everyone is going to like you so so you can't go believing you can't even just go focusing on on that stuff there's the positive or the negative it just can't be the thing that matters yeah no i, d- I did that recently on one of my favorite books I looked at the Amazon reviews and I just thought it was hilarious because you're right something can change your life so much and someone else can think it's the worst thing in the world so I don't know I feel like I'm I think the person who likes something is kind of more right because it's more positive I don't know (laughs) but you know then I mean if you just run around only you know believing the nice things people say about you then that just as equally as damaging yeah Yeah, I just I um I care that people read my books and I do care that they like them but I I can't be involved in monitoring that affection or lack of affection with that separation you spoke about in the bookshop is is has that got anything to do with the fact that on the cover of your books it says E Lockhart now I mean Lockhart is my middle name um I write my books for younger readers under another name um I just thought it sounded cool. Mm. I always liked my middle name better than my last name. It does. Um, my sound dad cool. used to call me E. Um, it, you know, 
my, when my children want to get my attention, they yell E. Lockhart instead of my name <laughs> or mommy. Um, so it's, it's very much part of my identity. It doesn't feel like somebody, I mean, when yeah. I say somebody else wrote them, I don't mean, I don't think of E. Lockhart as me. I do. It's, it's just, um, it's one, one part of my identity, I guess. Yeah. I reread um, a book called Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. Oh, yeah, I don't I've know read if that. you've read it. Yeah, I yeah. love that book. Um, I'm working on something new at the moment, and I needed to reread that book to get myself feeling good again. She and has that amazing story about Anne Patchett getting her novel. Yes, and how they kissed. Yes. And to say hello and then it transferred and that she had exactly the same idea I thought yeah. that was so spooky but yeah I've read that Anne Patchett novel it's amazing have you I want to read it um, I'm now forgetting what it's called <gasps> oh it's this Anne Patchett novel about the Amazon and this yes this um like anthropologist who's down there studying this incredible fertility of this particular group of people down there it's it's really a crazy and wonderful book Anyway, this yeah. is not a good recommendation. Yeah. No, but no, it's the only Ann Patchett book that fits that description, and you should all go out and read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it just takes the pressure off of, if you're going to go and do something creative, then you, you can't get bogged down in your own fear. And I love that book. And in one bit, she talks about how to be a writer, you don't need to have a diploma or a degree or a, or a master's or a any sort of... Um, you know education around writing but I, I wondered how whether you do whether you agree or disagree with that have you studied writing do you think it matters I didn't study writing didn't. I um I have a PhD in Victorian literature so I went to a lot of school but it was not school for creative writing um so I'm self-taught as a writer and what I did was really take apart novels that I thought were really amazing. I mean, I read some how-to write books as well, but I think the thing I found most useful was taking, I know I took David Copperfield and Geek Love, and I took uh, probably some other ones too. Uh, Oh, I know I did um, Hotel New Hampshire. Um, And, you know, looked, okay, scene by scene, what are they doing? How are they writing? How are they setting up characters? What are they, you know, and I took notes about what um, what the authors were doing and then like basically tried to do it myself and it was incredibly useful right to have this sort of list of techniques that um, weren't coming from some kind of writing expert but actually from the works of art that I admired and to sort of just mine those for for lessons um, and that's just reading as a writer right and and everybody can do it Writing school is lovely. It's just, if it involves debt for you, I don't really advise it, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that there's a tremendous amount to be learned, and I uh, teach part-time in a low-residency MFA program, and I do think we bring a lot to our students, but I don't think it's necessary. You know, it's it's not bad, but Mm -hmm. there's many other ways to to learn to write and also everyone does it differently some people love critique partners and really really flourish in a critique group and um and that's how they get their writing to go to the next level and other people just need to be more private about it need to be on a personal journey you know aren't ready to share unfinished work and that's fine too right there's not a right way yeah totally something I get confused with is People say there's no rules when it comes to writing, but then there are rules. There are some rules. It well, it's seems, a craft. When it, yes, when it comes to structure. And do you have anything, kind of, any advice around those two things? Kind of, because you seem to break lots of rules and do so many interesting, very unique things. 
Well, like with genuine fraud and with We Were Liars, um, I made use of a really formulaic screenplay writing book called Save the Cat. Oh, yeah. And Save the Cat is basically how to write a super formulaic screenplay, right? Assuming that what you want to write is is Die Hard or Ocean's 8 or something. Like great fun, commercial, commercial, commercial. And I kind of love it because it, it doesn't pretend to be anything else. It's just like, here's how you write something that moves, moves, moves. <laughs> and um, so I think the reason that, you know, genuine fraud, even though it's backwards, does move because potentially it could just be a big stagnant weird blob is that you know at at sort of a midpoint in the writing process I went back to save the cat and I was like oh look he says that you have to be you know by page sort of the equivalent of of a little bit less than a quarter of the way through your story your character should be off on their like big adventure um, you know, they arrive at Jurassic Park or the bad guy has got hold of the hostages and the good person has to go save them or whatever, right? Um, the heist is, is ready to go. Okay, so yeah, that happens in Genuine Fraud at a little before the quarter mark. And there's various other similar things in Save the Cat where it's like, you know, get to this dark night of the soul and get to this, you know, crisis where everything explodes and et cetera. And all of it happens. And that was not true in the earlier drafts. And I didn't write to that formula to start with. But at some point in my revision, you know, where I'm doing this like experimental crazy project, I go and look at a very commercial template. And I say, okay, can I take what I have and make it move, move, move That's so in this way? And I did that with We Were Liars too. Yeah. It's so funny when, when reading certain things like that, I find sometimes when I'm watching films, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I get why that's just happened. And, or this is at the point where something bad happens, but then something really bad happens. And I was like, something's going to, good's going to happen. And you, it's, I don't think it ruins it. It's just interesting when you start to understand that pattern. Yes, right. It, it it makes it forces you into watching a movie like a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leads me on to I just wanted to ask you kind of my penultimate question, which is your books obviously have had a lot of media kind of excitement about the the fact that they might be turned into something on screen. I wondered just what that process has been like so far and what what happens in those meetings to anyone listening who has no idea how it happens well, or the pro- the processes have been really different for genuine fraud and um, and for we were liars. Um, for genuine fraud, my agency sent it the manuscript out before the book was published, and sent it to a number of um, small producers. And those small producers who wanted to work on it then go and pitch it to the big studios who have the money. And all of this happens without me. But then once they had the studio money, then there's an offer. And so then I had phone meetings because I'm based in New York City and all these people are in LA. So I had phone meetings and um, I ended up going with Lena Dunham and Jenny Connors company. And in that case, I had uh, Lena Dunham texted me, which was really (laughs) amusing and adorable. She used like a little lot of emojis and um, I was very charmed and we set up a phone meeting and that's, that's not usual. Most people... Um, you know, you the appointment is all booked through their assistant, and you never would ever have the cell number of the person. And so I was very won over by that openness and friendliness. And we had a phone meeting 
um, the two of us, and we, I also had a meeting with her, her whole team. And so they were really convincing, like they had a vision of what genuine fraud meant to them um, as as a film. Um, you know, they're an all-female company, and um, genuine fraud is a very... Uh, it's a book about women. It's a book about friendship between women. It's also an anti-hero story with a really difficult protagonist. Um, and, and they do you know, a lot of They are great with, with difficult women yeah. and or women whom other people label difficult. Yeah. Flawed and women. <laughs> yes. So um, real women, I would say. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So I went with them and um, that's kind of how that went. And they, the next thing they do is go hire... Um, a, a writer um, but the only time I actually had like an in-person meeting uh, neither um, Connor nor Dunham was there it was um, development executives but it was so nice because their office was like it's all women and I don't mean to say like it's their office is is a lady office like with 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 pretty things all around it's very soft it's very groovy and um the other hollywood smaller producer office that i'd been in ha- was like all foosball tables and giant pictures of airplanes and um you know coke machines and video games and it was you know like a man's you know i'm being gendered about it and and so just forgive me cuz i don't really believe in any of that but it was like you know boy toy heaven over there and then um the casual romance offices uh, their company were were really inviting and that you know the meeting involved cheese and <laughs> wine and um and it was it was you know really um warm and it had a very different feeling um you know it felt neither you know hyper masculine like the other one i described nor corporate um and that was that was nice mm. You know. it, ma- it matters how you feel, doesn't it, with yeah, other yeah. people? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, my last question for you is, what are you excited about coming up? I always ask this. It doesn't have to be work-related. It can be personal. But anything, getting towards the end of the year, but yeah, what are you excited about coming up? Can be anything. Oh, gosh. I'm excited for the USA November elections. <laughs> I've been working um, in various ways to support candidates that I believe in and to get out the vote. Um, A couple years ago when we had the presidential election, I did a campaign with Rock the Vote in the U.S. Rock the Vote, you know, usually has um, rock and roll type spokespeople, um, but they took on a whole kind of crew of YA novelists and, um, you know, we had, you know, Gail Foreman and John Green and Angie Thomas and all these people making videos uh, about voting Mm, and so it's just a cause that I care about and I'm excited to see I'm trying other things this time around Um, I'm doing a postcard writing campaign when I get back from the from the UK Ireland tour but um, I'm excited to hopefully make a difference Mm. in November and and to begin to feel politically uh, optimistic Mm -hmm. and also um, to see the power of the young readers whom I know are, you know, amazing and intelligent. They're, you know, people that I've been writing for for years are voters now. Mm. And, um, you know, they're going to raise their voices. Mm. So that's going to be cool. That's such a brilliant idea. Well, thank you so, so much for chatting to me. And um, it's been amazing to meet you in person with you being in the UK. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks.